You're listening to the Sports Nuts Fantasy Basketball Show, Episode 1. I'm your host, Rodolfo Anton Lee. Joining the show is the Commissioner Davidson for a team-by-team breakdown and our thoughts on all the team's performances throughout the first six weeks into the NBA season. We had a lot to get to, um, a lot of uh, different insights into how the draft all went down, players and their performances throughout the start of the season, as well as some projections moving into the rest of the year. So we broke it up into two parts. So we've got a two-part series breaking down all of our thoughts and feelings about the start of the NBA and fantasy basketball season. Coming up, part one of the 2021-22 Fantasy Basketball Draft Recap on the Sports Nuts Podcast feed. of the Spurn by Stern Fantasy Basketball 2021-2022 Draft Breakdown. A, a very handsome human being. Uh, a man that has lived in San Francisco his entire life. Someone that I met in UC Irvine over a decade ago. Um, one of the OGs of all things sports, of our formative years growing up into adulthood. The one and only Commissioner Davidson. Welcome, Davidson. How's it going? It's going great, man. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing great. It's a sunny Wednesday. It's um, you know, the day before Thanksgiving. I'm excited to eat. Um, I probably will need to like take a four-hour walk prior to eating because uh, there is so much food that's going to be happening tomorrow. So uh, yeah, that's uh, something yeah, I'm planning for. How I'm are you? Do the same. I feel like uh, I feel like the best uh, best way to eat more is to work out before i don't know if it sounds kind of intuitive but probably uh it's one of my strategies i know yeah you gotta build up the hunger so then you could just eat in the food coma out um but that that is what everyone is hopefully doing today while they listen to this episode um yes this episode will be dropping on thanksgiving so we hope you guys are enjoying your turkey and spending time with your family while you have us fools talking about fantasy basketball uh in your ears um, so let's let's kind of go. Uh, What's that? Just want to say thank you to you uh, for putting this all together. I know we all we uh, definitely promised a lot of things uh, at uh, Trenton's wedding, so um, I'm glad that we're fulfilling that, and we're gonna get this guy out on Turkey Day. Yeah, man. Just, um, you know, I it, it just takes a little bit of motivation for me to organize everything because uh, honestly, I have it all set up. I just have to. Uh, Take that extra step to get people, um, to get people together, and here we are. Yeah. Um, but a quick overview of this year in our fantasy basketball league, the Spurn by Stern league, um, going into what this is like our our tenth? No, this is like a twelfth year into it. Let's say about twelve. I think years. it's twelfth year. I think you did the first like three or four years. We should actually, we should have re- we should have um, listened to last year's podcast, see where that was, and then plus one for this year, but. Yeah. Somewhere in the 12 to 13 range. Over a decade, for sure. Um, we're going to do some big picture yeah. takeaways of the entire draft. So there are 14 teams in this league. Um, a couple new um, team managers um, came in um, to spice things up, to change up the, uh, the flow of how everything went. But overall, Davidson, how did you feel like the draft went? Um, how did it feel you know, being on Discord, on a voice call um, with everyone, kind of for the first time this year? And... Um, was there any any special any any surprises that happened during the draft this year for you? Um, I think it was kind of weird. I mean, it was it was kind of normal being everybody uh, with everybody in the Discord channel, like being in you know still in the middle or thick of the pandemic. But you know, I think everybody's spirits were a little bit better. Um, I was really glad to just connect with everybody again. It's like it was like being in the same room without being in the same room. Um, as for surprises, um, I don't know if I had too many surprises. I think there was a lot of gamesmanship, as there always is in this draft. And uh, it was just good to get back to that. Um, the shit-talking was always... The shit-talking is always fun before the league starts. Um, and then once it 
once it goes live, it's always uh, always it's always a lot of fun. Yeah, for me, it was just nice seeing everyone kind of being on Discord pretty easily. Um, I know it's the first time we used it for um, a hangout this big, but I think uh, everyone kind of adopted it quite well. Uh, as far as notable surprises, uh, we're going to get into it later, the specific players themselves, but um, we had two uh, unique circumstances, one with uh, Mr. Ben Simmons and Mr. Kyrie Irving, who uh, are not yep. playing basketball right now, and yet they still went for, I would say, a little bit more expensive of a price than I anticipated, both going to Jesse. So well done, sir. Yeah, well done, and I think he was on the call. He was talking about, he was like, oh man, I don't know how this is going to go. This could go extremely well for me, or extremely bad. So far, six weeks in, I believe, or five weeks in, uh, not so great. I don't know what time he is, but um, I have a feeling that Ben Simmons is going to play before uh, before Kyrie does. Yeah. Whether that be for the 76ers or another team. And with the way that the that Ben Simmons saga has gone, it is kind of surprising that we're almost, I would say, past the midpoint where there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for both teams, right? With the trade deadline less than two months away. So I think um, if, if Jesse can somehow hold on, if Jokic and Durant can have fantasy MVP type seasons and literally just carry him throughout until then, uh, I think he... He might be able to have a late season burst, but um, yeah, the Kyrie situation is just a whole other thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, let's get into the draft now. Um, the team by team breakdown. We're going to start off with some of the new members of the league um, with Headband Clay. Um, the owner is Andrew. Um, Davidson, take me through how you invited Mr. Headband Clay, Andrew, the namesake of Victoria, um, to the league, um, and how'd you uh, how'd you guys meet? And what about the what about fan, what about basketball really appealed to you uh, as far as him being a good owner for uh, for our league? Um, so I think he he was actually it's funny he's you know he's something something new but something old because I think he was in the league a couple of years ago he was first invited by um just going back to jesse but jesse feldman um a good friend i met up with andrew a couple times um to talk back um, to watch a couple basketball games it's been a while obviously um pandemic withstanding um and he's just a guy that always kind of knew and always had a good opinion and uh informed opinion i should say about um the warriors you know more locally and then uh, the broad the broader nba and i think i thought he was somebody that was good for the league yeah no and definitely he has um currently he sits near the top of the standings at number two um he's had a bit of a run um i think he has been one of the strongest producers um and uh, managers to compose a team throughout this year. He came in with the full allotment of $200, no keepers. Um, Davidson, what stood out to you with his draft strategy? Um, the first few picks that he made, um, them being Trey Young at $46 and Devin Booker at 34 and just how he kind of dispersed his budget throughout his draft. I think he got a lot of good value. I mean, Trey Young is somebody who... Um, as we move down the draft, you would see superstars, you know, landing or superstars and, you know, for our purposes, fantasy basketball superstars, you know, landing in the 50s to 60s, maybe high 40s if you got lucky. Um, so um, there was no reason to doubt Trey Young, especially coming off a Eastern Conference final visit. And, uh, you know, Andrew was all for him. And I definitely give him a lot of credit for going after him uh, and, you know, making him his top pick. Um, Devin Booker, always fantasy guy, young. Um, I think that's the game that we're all playing now. Um, I know I'm I more so than anybody like to lean on like likes to lean on veterans, um, but I'm just realizing more and more it's about guys who play. Uh, given how much teams are doing uh, preventative maintenance with their superstars, so um, I think there's a lot of solid um, solid picks. I also like the uh, Julius Randall pick. Uh, he was one of my picks in my other league, and he's you know he's probably the second coming of Draymond Green and really in his prime right now, and qualifies as a center, so not too shabby uh, for Andrew. Yeah, I also want to kind of touch on Trey Young a little bit. Um, he did go for forty six, and 
I think on a basketball winning side of things, um, he has the Hawks and him himself haven't had the same numbers as he's had in the past. But the rules change. But I think for fantasy purposes, he's still quite effective. Maybe a little bit more expensive than you'd like to take his current production, but that will all shift in time. I would, I would suggest, I would hope, right? Just because I think the rules will, players will adjust to the rules. Uh, Trey, Young, Trey Young will figure things out, and in a lot of ways, it might make him a more effective, efficient shooter in the long run. And if that's someone he's looking to keep, um, he's definitely one of the top five or six long-term dynasty plays of of, of most players, right? At, at his age. Um, he said something interesting about targeting younger players. Um, and we do kind of see a sweet spot of a 24 to 28-year-old. Um, you and I, we're old heads, so we're always drafting veterans that we thought are young from uh, back in our day. Um, what are some examples of the 24 to 28-year-olds that have popped off for you, um, whether that's this league or your other leagues, that... Um, Mr. Headband Clay Andrew um, has kind of really uh, picked up on. Um, I think another. I mean, his next pick after Randall Lonzo Ball is really in that sweet spot. I know he was a you know he was a big. There's a lot of expectations um him being on the Lakers, and you know since he's traveled to New Orleans and now Chicago, he's really honed his game. Um, he's a perennial triple double threat. And it's kind of nuts to be able to pair somebody like that with somebody like Julius Randle, also another triple double threat. Um, another, you know, nine dollar pick that um, Andrew had was R.J. Barrett, who had, I think, a really solid, solid um, rookie year, and then kind of leveled out last year. Um, I kind of throw away last year for most players because it was such a strange environment to play in. Um, but he's seeing. A lot of run now. Um, play, you know, some opportunities reduced with Evan Fournier in that spot. Um, but I think that as the season goes along, you'll realize that you know Evan Fournier will have more of the the A. Um, like that for six dollars doesn't even does it just bow well for um this year but also for next yeah um you cut off a little bit um at the evan fournier part but um yeah i think it is important to kind of target supplemental players um and you know value players right after you make your big swings early in the in the draft um uh, so i think he did a really nice job of really getting um high value um, kind of the more expensive um, big ticket players. And then a lot of the role players with KCP um, and let me see. KCP was one of the ones that stood out to me. KCP, Kuzma, um, and Conley, and Bridges were also the other uh, the value picks that really uh, stood out. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I cut out in that second, but um, I was just saying. Um... Thing. I saw Miles Bridges in person about three weeks ago, and he was he was pretty impressive to watch. You know, he's just a guy that you were gonna see in the next year. Um, he's gonna really blossom, and to have to have um, drafted him at let's see what it was six dollars is uh, it's pretty. I, I foresee him as one Andrew's keeper. Yeah, no, it uh, he's popped off. I think the hardest of uh, of all the fantasy value picks um, throughout this year. Um, I, I don't think anyone saw this coming. Um, not even people in the basketball world, which is uh, kind of remarkable. All right, uh, let's move on now to the next team, the next of our new uh, inclusions to the league. We've got no shots for Kyrie, Darwin. Um, another one of your friends. Uh, tell me about Darwin, Davidson. Uh, I'm a bit- uh, Yeah, so Darwin's probably the OG of all OGs because uh, we grew up together. Uh, we're cousins. 
Um, and we've been talking about sports since probably as soon as we went to our first uh, San Francisco Giants games, and you know that turned into Niners games and Warriors games, and all other sports, um, all other sports teams when available. Um, so he's somebody that um, he knows his basketball. We talk about. He got me into daily fantasy sports too. Um, I don't play too often, but he's definitely uh, one of my confidants talking about basketball and just sports in general. So uh, it was, you know, I was kind of like, uh, I was kind of hesitant because I was like, we're going to add this much more competition, but I think competition is always good and it brings out the best in everybody. I liken his team to being a Sam Presti team for a number of reasons, right? Where it's uh, it's a very like well thought out team. I can kind of see the analytics side of things with uh, how he constructed his team, very specific focus on high production on specific stats, um, and then trying to go after the um, the rookie class with a larger uh, budget, right? Because he did have his full allotment of $200. Um, but let's, let's start from the top. So he starts with Jason Tatum at $52, and then Zion Williamson, $25. We drafted at a time before we had the full picture of uh zion situation so a little unfortunate there we knew he wasn't going to start the season we didn't know it was this bad we didn't know he was 400 pounds <sighs> sometimes um jordan pool 13 dollars kind of a steal jordan Poole, 13. that might be that might end up being uh one of the best value picks i'm, I'm just saying it's gonna be a top five value pick by the end of the year i mean he's popping off right now honestly that's i mean well, we all know it's without Clay, and we're hoping all the Warriors fans hoping Clay gets back uh, soon. But for him, for thirteen dollars and being able to put uh, pump like thirteen uh, thirty points in a night um, uh, out of nowhere um, is is a fantastic value. I would say he's probably he's he's won a lot of games for Darwin already, um, and he's gonna be he's still probably gonna have a lot of usage even once Clay comes back. Um, uh, headlining the, the Warrior second unit. Um, I see a lot of good things for him, and again, top five end of the year value picks for sure. Yeah, uh, Darwin currently sits at number seven, so right in the middle of the entire league. A lot of ups and downs with his team, uh, just because a lot of young guys, right, with the inconsistencies. Uh, Jordan Poole being one of them. Uh, a bit of a slow start to start the year, but now reeling off a couple of really solid games, really consistent and efficient shooting, which I think is the biggest factor of it all, just because you can score 30 on 40% shooting, or you could do what he did the past few nights. Um, it was really efficient and effective from the floor. Um, I do kind of want to get into um, the rookie class of 2021 that he drafted, apparently all of the top seven picks. Uh, so we've got a Cade Cunningham for $16, Evan Mobley for 18 and Josh Giddy for 17. Two questions. Um, why does he love this class so much? And do you feel like at those prices that he got a reasonable to fair return on his investment? I think I'm, a, I'm pretty optimistic about what he paid for these rookies. I mean, uh, we all, we all, as basketball heads, we all knew coming into this year it was a very top-heavy rookie uh, rookie class, and um, I think Darwin, you get that uh, Darwin's uh, Darwin's selection of these guys. They really proves that. I mean, I think Cade was out for the first couple games. Evan Mobley is doing Evan Mobley's doing everything he can, and he's going to get all he can. Um, he's going to play all the minutes he can for. Uh, a less than great Cleveland squad. I mean, he's making he's making them competitive, um, and he'll eat all year long. Um, Josh Kitty was the one I didn't know much about, and I can't say that I know much more about him just yet. Um, but I mean, these guys are all falling in the twenty dollar range, and you know, if you have guys that are performing um, better than the average fantasy player, anything below twenty dollars is gonna is going to shoot you up the standings. It's all relative, right? How much you're willing to pay versus how much you're able to save on certain other positions. Um, I think maybe one or two of those players at that price would have been fairly, um, fairly, fairly, a fairly big win for him. But 
to me, it kind of feels like he overstretched and got a third rookie for over $17. Um, and that was kind of tricky, right? I mean, Cade at 16, understandable, number one pick. We kind of know the tools. Mobley, I was high on him just because of the way that the ringer loved him and talked about him. And that has borne all the fruit that he may probably win rookie of the year, although he is out right now for another two weeks or so. Um, but Josh Giddy, um, I feel like Josh Giddy is the embodiment of both the uh, Sam Presti run Thunder and Darwin's team in the sense that I feel like it was a pick made showing that I'm the smartest guy in the room, much like Sam Presti did at number six when he could have taken Kaminga. Looks great, by the way. Um, same thing with Darwin. I'm the smartest guy in the room. I've got the rest of my budget left. I'm going to spend it on Giddy. You know, he's, he's a great upside player, but in fantasy, you can only keep two a year. So then it's really the choice of, well, now you have three rookies. You also have Jason Tatum that you probably want to keep. You got Zion kind of cheap, so he's kind of in the mix. Um, but we'll see if they uh, happen to pop off. The other one that I wanted to point out before we get out of here for uh, for Darwin's team is Mo Bamba. Mo Bamba, $16. Tell me about it, Davidson. What do you think? That was one. I got to say, I don't know much about it. No, I think he was really, he was well hyped coming into the year. Um, haven't been following the Magic too closely. I don't, I don't know if you know more about him than I do. Um, but I guess I didn't. I was also in on him, but I don't think I pulled the trigger or pushed too hard because I didn't know uh, enough about what he was doing and that whole Orlando Magic situation being very fluid and having a lot of young guys, uh, unproven guys, you know, Jalen Suggs coming in. Um, taking a lot of minutes, even at another position, you just didn't know what you were gonna get um, with hit, with Mo Bamba. And to be honest, I know Wendell Carter. I want to say was he was drafted, you know, in a sim- uh, similar um, similar valuation, thirteen dollars. So you were kind of like in a rock in a hard place. You're like, okay, which one of these guys is gonna um, rise to the top? I will say for Mo Bamba, uh, a lot of the ringer Kevin O'Connor hype on Mo Bamba, um, I think that is a lot of the reason why I feel like he went pretty high in, the, in our draft specifically. I nominated him, and uh, I kind of drove up, drove up his price because I heard Mike and Kevin start to talk up Mo Bamba like they were the ringer. So I was like, oh, these, these guys are on the same. Uh, it's either a joke, um, a joke draft. Or it was uh, it was sincerity. I could not tell, but then uh, your boy Darwin swoops in uh, at a quite high price for Mobamba. You know what? I think it's one of those fun picks that just happens. Um, his production kind of lacks right now. Maybe he pops off later in the year, but um, I think it's just one of those. Uh, we've all read the same draft guide. We we're all listening to the same podcast and uh, kind of group thinking there. Uh, one quick thing before we uh, head out of. Uh, Darwin's team. He also picked up Chris Duarte off the waiver wire, who's having yeah, an excellent rookie saying. season. I was one that he headed off all competition. He saw he saw something in the the winds that was blowing the right way, and he picked him up right away. So yeah, I credit I'm, for, credit for that. Yeah, I I, he had like a twenty-five plus point game within the first week or something like that. Sorry to cut you. Off. No, you're fine. Um, no, Chris Duarte. Uh, so I followed the NBA draft super deep this past year. So I had him penciled in as someone to add early in the season, but Darwin swooped in pretty quick. So I just, I, you know, he got there just a day ahead of me on that one. Um, and that's the kind of like, you know, just going back to that, um, this, like the accumulated knowledge of this is that you don't have much time to, to, to think about uh, who you want to pick up and who might be uh, who might be good, who might not be. It's just kind of Russian roulette um, because just because you don't want somebody else to get them and miss out. Yeah, and it really kind of goes to show the um, the level of attention that this league requires, especially playing the waiver wires, seeing who's available just making your move, trying to get someone as soon as possible, and also just playing the waiver wire in general. Speaking of which, leads us to the next team uh, that we're going to talk about. It's Tommy's team, Bounce Back Brow. Um, And I bring this up because Tommy last year had a rough rookie season, but I talked to him over the wedding, and he was determined to learn so much about how fantasy basketball works, play the waiver wire, to the point where he leads the league 
with 26 waiver moves this year, which to me, if you if you make a thousand waiver moves in the season, all power to you because there's no limit. You, you got to run it and you got to find the best combination week to week. Um, but talking to uh, talking about his draft now, uh, his two keepers were. Uh, Gordon Hayward at $8 and Anthony Davis at 57 His first big pickup was Rudy Gobert at 39 How do you feel like Tommy's draft um, came together? And were, were there any surprise picks that um, were either that are either shining right now or kind of falling off um, early in the season for you? Um, I, I mean, I think the 30... He's probably going to win you... He's probably going to win you blocks he might hurt you a lot in free throw percentage but we're talking about that magic 40 to 60 dollar range for somebody's established obviously he has you know a defensive player of the year is a double double machine and then uh just gets blocks on top of blocks on top of blocks uh, on a night-to-night basis so i think that was a solid pickup um his keepers i wasn't really sure what to expect from gordon hayward because you obviously had the emergence of uh, Lamelo Ball, Rookie of the Year. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, Rookie of the Year. Um, and then uh, um, my, somebody like Miles Bridges, and again, with, like same thing with the Magic, a young team like the Hornets. You never know how veterans may be may be put into the rotation, taken out. I mean, I think it always hurts us as like a uh, maybe as a formerly uh, veteran heavy league. Um, when you you, know, you pick somebody oh and then they get washed out by uh, you know somebody new so glad that Hayward's working out for him glad that glad that Tommy's probably gonna be probably gonna make the biggest jump from year to year um, just overall pretty pretty good draft I mean Anthony Davis is always kind of a wild card because you don't know how many how many games you'll get out of him but you know. Um, He's somebody that uh, will produce when he's when he's healthy. Yeah, definitely a high ceiling keeper. Um, you definitely know what he's capable of doing. He can win a league, being a five category efficient monster. But uh, street clothes is a nickname he has for a reason. So uh, <laughs> um, I mean, you, you got to spend it, right? You got to spend it somewhere. So yeah. effectively, a pretty pretty decent high value keeper pick. But it's really how he constructed his team out afterwards. And the pickups that he's made, um, I would say Jalen Brown at 34 is a little. It seems high, but now relative to how we've seen the rest of the draft play out, I think that was a really pick, good, great pickup. I feel like Jalen Brown, um, compared to Jason Tatum, are producing almost exactly similar, if not a little bit better um, than Tatum. And he got him for about twenty dollars less, a little bit more than twenty dollars yeah. less, which is remarkable. Um, I, think, I remember um, bidding for Jalen Brown, and it was like. It's like man, 30, 34 is pushing it, and I, I wanted Jalen, but I was like, just about the things we were talking about volume, volume, just being a young, solid guy, um, and I think what, what what we say, what we talked about during the um, during the draft was that you know everybody, it's better to be bold, or at least my theory is, it, is it's better to be bold at the beginning of the draft and swing for the guys that you want rather than holding on for too long and then paying the same amount um, for somebody that um, somebody that isn't as good. Um, I can't think of somebody directly, but I know that always happens to me um, unless I'm tar- unless I'm really targeting certain guys. Um, also wanted to mention somebody, something, somebody that um, Tommy talked about over the weekend um, was James Wiseman. For three dollars, I see him as being, you know, an X factor. Uh, as as a Warriors fan, just following the team, I know Kavon Looney's a more than serviceable center. He's had some great years in the playoffs, but I'm sure that um, Steve Kerr is going to want to unleash him and really try to develop him. And the only way to do that is to play him. So once James gets healthy and gets some minutes under him, and you know, maybe he's going to be in that same. He's going to be in that same category with Jordan Poole that they're leading that second unit, and they can, I I could both see them flourishing. And selfishly, as a Warriors fan, um, definitely want to see that. Uh, for the fantasy picture with Tommy having him, uh, that could be pretty devastating to play. Um, 
a team that has Anthony Davis, Rudy Gobert, and James Wiseman. That, that might be one of the better or best um, center center rotations in the league. Yeah, from a, from a basketball standpoint, at the at the at the at the floor, right? We'd like to hope that he's Javale McGee, which honestly, as a as a fantasy basketball um, asset and a real life asset, I think that is a very um, it's a win for the Warriors this year if you can just get him to 15, 20 minutes a game, catch lobs, eight rebounds, a block, two blocks a game. You know, doesn't have to do too much, um, but. You know, the sky's the limit for him. I think with a little bit of flexibility with his keeper options this next year, um, he might just be not just a this year steal, but a future cornerstone build around piece for Tommy um, at a really great price. So well done. Um, also, shout out to uh, Tyrese Maxey at $3. I think that also might just uh, win him the league as well because uh, he's playing out of his mind. No Ben Simmons. And even if Ben Simmons does come back and integrates into the offense, I feel like there's enough room for both of them because now Maxi is the primary ball handler and Simmons can just chill and hopefully take a layup if it's open. <laughs> All right. Because he, he sure isn't shooting the three ball at least. No, 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 no. You know, um, you know we, we hope the best for Ben Simmons. I mean, he's a human being. We get it. We get it. Uh, but that's, that's a podcast for another time. <laughs> All right, let's move on now to Jelly J. Christopas Porzingis. Did, do you know if he meant to spell his name this way? Um, I was looking at that as we were doing a little rundown, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know if he meant to spell it that way, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And it's a quite a, uh, a quite it's a funny it's a funny name. Um, also, maybe he should submit this to. Uh, Maybe you should um, submit this to uh, NBA Paint. Shout out to NBA Paint as one of the best um, best Twitter accounts uh, around. They do a lot of puns based off NBA players' names. Highly suggested to any to everybody. I mean, it would fit very well with uh, with our clownery and just how we do <laughs> things here. Oh, and real quick, just to go back to Tommy, I forgot to mention. Um, I do have to give him his flowers here. Number one in the league <laughs> right now. Tommy, six weeks in. Well done, sir. All right, so back to Christopas Porzingis. Uh, no keepers. Um, he, from the looks of his draft, he spread things out a bit, right? Um, I think at the very beginning of the draft, you, if you're a fairly newer player or if you don't have any keepers, you have certain players you want to target, and then there are superstars who are available. But sometimes you get caught in the race. Sometimes you go back and forth. Sometimes things get a little too high. I would say two good examples of that are Jason Tatum and Joel Embiid, both going for upwards of $50, $60 in Embiid's case. Um, you know, he didn't land on any, any of those, but his big ticket uh, pick was Nikola Vucevic at $47. Quite pricey considering how much that offense needs to be spread across all the different weapons they have in Chicago. But... From history, definitely a productive fantasy player. Um, he also got Christophus Porzingis at uh, $20. Uh, SGA, Shea Gilders, Alexander um, at OKC at 36 Miles Turner at 30 um, And then kind of spread the wealth throughout the draft. What are your overall thoughts and feelings about how he constructed his team? Uh, and like these guys, I see that he was he really hoed in doubles and lineups. And I think everybody... Uh, sometimes I don't see so that definitely draft strategy. Uh, I think Vucevic is, you know, he is probably just a shade under, you know, the productivity of Domantas Sabonis. Um, he's been really great in previous years and just somebody that you can count on for like 20 and 12, I feel like, albeit in a different setting. Um, so I'm okay with the $47 pick there. I think it's it was a little expensive, but uh, you know, outside he was picked number twenty five, and around that time you start to get um, you start to get a little hungry, and you want to put somebody on your squad, especially as you mentioned with him not uh, keeping anybody. I think last year he was young ice Trey, um, and we talked we just talked about Trey Young, but he wanted to like the slate clean this year, so I'm okay with the Vucevic pick at forty seven. 
think it's a little expensive, um, but he's somebody that you can always count on. Um, Miles Turner is a guy that he's he's always that guy saying, well, you know, maybe this is the year that he really breaks out. I feel like we've been saying that for the last two or three years. I'm okay with him at 30 because he does do – he's a 3 and D guy, and he has the potential to break out even alongside DeMontis Sabonis. Um, Nurkic, if he can stay healthy, he's great. Um, I think that one's a little bit of a tricky one um, with, um, with Coach Chauncey Billups. Um, just trying to figure out his rotations. Um, he's competing with, uh, you know, or he's sharing minutes um, at the at the four and five spots with Rocco and Larry Nance Jr. Now, who's just emerging. So it's twelve bucks isn't bad uh, given his his history. I actually think it's a good deal um, as long as he can stay healthy. Um, outside of that, um, Montrez Harrell. Uh, I don't know if you meant to just hoard centers and then hopefully trade assets. Not a bad guy. He's doing well for doing well for Washington and in a six man role for five bucks. Um don't know much about I haven't followed Jacob Purtle too much. I feel like he, he was gonna get a lot of reps just with um everything um with the reboot in San Antonio. Um PJ Washington is a guy I liked last year at the end of the year. Um in Miles Bridges absence, but I think that one was kind of one you could have found somebody a little bit more productive, maybe maybe splurge on a rookie a little bit more. Um, but overall, I mean, I think that he did a good job with what he got. Um, he went center heavy, um, maybe hoping that he'd be able to get um, flip some of those guys, and you know, maybe we'll see that later in the season. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a strategy, right? Where I think a lot of the way the league has decided to construct teams is specifically target certain positions. Um, I say that just by looking at Trenton's team is another example of it, um, that they went for power forwards and centers because they know the scarcity of the positions and they know that the league is trending away from it. But with a two center um, roster requirement, um, you are gonna need to fill those positions and might as well be um, one of the top teams in grabbing rebounds, blocks, and field goal percentages um, with having a strong center power for rotation. So, um, you know, not a bad strategy. Um, he actually did get quite a number of really good um, players at that position. I think Miles Turner is the most flexible of them um, because, like you said, he does shoot threes. He gets an inordinate number of blocks for what he's able to do, even though he himself... If you watch the games, you wouldn't call him a defensive stopper, but he stops people at the rim. So it's it's kind of it, it's kind of the best of both worlds, where you don't need him to be a great NBA player. You kind of just need him to be a fantasy stat cruncher. So um, yeah, uh, Jakob Pertl, he's been out for a few weeks. Um, San Antonio, uh, I, I still don't really know what's happening with that franchise. <laughs> I just know that Jakob Pertl is uh, is the vestiges of a history of uh, Kawhi Leonard, the Kawhi Leonard trade. Um, yeah, uh, Jelly J has not made too many fantasy waiver pickups. Uh, he's made three, so his team is still fairly intact from the start of the season. Uh, he currently sits at number six, so right in the middle sweet spot um, of the league. All right, uh, let's move on to... I, I, I kind of love this this name change. So formerly, uh, we got Victor's team, formerly known as Get Wiggity With It. Uh, he's changed it to I'm 36. I knew exactly what that was. Davidson, can you tell us why it took you a minute to kind of figure out what that meant? Honestly, it was like it threw me for a loop for a second because I was like, we're all in that we're all in that age range and I was like, is he just saying how old he is? But then I was like, But we all went to school together, so that can't be that can't be the case and I was corrected this past weekend. So I didn't get that reference, but now I get it. LeBron James. Um uh, one of one of Victor's keepers, obviously everybody knows him. Um, and yeah, that's that's the story behind the name. Yeah, um, I knew it immediately just because uh, you know LeBron James is, tend to uh, make big proclamations about why he is uh, so great at what he's doing at his age, his advanced age in the NBA. Um, he's going on twenty years uh, playing in the NBA. Isn't that freaking crazy? Um, but as far as keepers go. Um, 
Victor actually threw LeBron back into the pool this year. He kept Colin Sexton and Brandon Ingram. Uh, Colin Sexton for $11, Brandon Ingram for 18 Really great value, if I'm looking at it objectively. Fantastic. A great allotment of money to, uh, to play with in the draft. So much so that he did get LeBron back at $33. A huge discount from what he would have had to keep him at, keep him for for last year. Um, some of his top picks were De'Aaron Fox at 30, Jarrett, Jarrett Allen at 18, uh, Jonas Valanciunas at 22, and DeMar DeRozan at 13. Um, and this one, this one I want to just point out just because I think it's a, it's an OKC kind of thing. It's a Lou Dort at 13. Just because, again, everyone mm-hmm. who drafts OKC players always thinks that they're the smartest person in the room. Uh, but yes, Davidson, <laughs> what do you think overall about how... Uh, Victor's team came together. Um, I th- I think I really like. I think honestly, if he can stay healthy, he can have a trajectory like Kevin Durant. But I guess I'm still just waiting for him to really put it all together. I know the last couple of years, um, he has been struggling to kind of find who he is. You know, he was he was served, he was all right with the Lakers. Then he got traded, and then he started to really blow up. He's obviously. Um, another worldly talent and his athletic tools are great. I think this is the year you see now, you know, this is the kind of make or break year for him with Zion being out um, on the pills and no more Alonzo Ball. It's kind of, it's kind of his show. Um, It's kind of his show and his time to prove that he is um, as good as everybody said he was going to be. That's, I, I just, I really like that pick. I mean, he again is one of my picks in my other league just because of his um, free throw percentage. Um, I think he should shoot a little better. Um, you see, he has a length, and not many guys can really um, get their arms up in his face. So I really see him being the focal point and the most important player on um, Victor's team. Uh, obviously, De'Aaron Fox. Um, he's just gonna he's gonna have his. Uh, He's going to have his nights, and he's going to have some nights where he really struggles with his shot. Um, SG, oh, I'm sorry, wrong person. Um, Jared Allen, um, I think he's somebody that you don't really know. He was pretty productive when he was with Brooklyn. Um, he can pre, he can be pretty good, but, you know, he's playing with Evan Mobley, and obviously they'll give him a lot of minutes. Um, I like that guy. I think um, Victor had him in the right range. There weren't too many big swings. Um, the one pick I did really like um, that I, I, I was bummed I missed out on was DeMar DeRozan. I don't think anybody really knew what he was going to be like in that crowded uh, Chicago backcourt. You have Lonzo Ball, you have Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan, guys like Patrick Williams. We just talked about Nikola um, Lucevic. Um, you know, just overall team. And that's only there's only one ball for all those guys. Obviously, the team's doing really well. But nobody, I don't think anybody could have expected how good DeMar DeRozan was going to be on this team. I don't know if you had any inkling on that. Uh, the only inkling I had was kind of the way that um, the coverage was around the Bulls. How everyone was fairly excited to see how this collection of players who signed willingly. So it wasn't that there was a super team assembled and not to say that any of these players were superstar players prior to this year but they are all at an advanced age in their careers where they want to make the sacrifices to win games. And it's remarkably come together, um, both in the wins and losses column and in fantasy, with DeMar DeRozan being hyper-effective for a $13 player, essentially outplaying that price to being one of the top 10 guards, small forwards, in the league this year. Um, And I think he does also qualify for power forward, so he is a stretch player for sure. Um, Jared Allen, um, I really liked him as well. $18, I think, is a steal. Um, it, it's just one of those picks where if you're not paying attention, it just kind of, it just happens. And then you don't really uh, realize why you're not in the bidding for uh, for something like that at that price. Um, I think, so there, there's one, well, there's two things I want to like point out for Victor's team. So one is the Johnny Isaacs pick for $3. Um, I think this strategy has been used throughout the league this year. It's kind of targeting injured players. Um, I know Tommy did it with Wiseman, trying to get them at the bare minimum so you can stash them on your IR spot, because we do have one this year. Uh, I wanted to get your opinion. What is your take on this strategy as far as targeting specific players? 
players in the draft? I see the appeal. Um, I think I'm more going away from the the redshirt strategy, um, especially in a hyper competitive league like ours is, and not to just not to give ourselves a pat on the back, but um, we have a lot of guys and we have a lot of team managers. You know, have a who follow all the teams and have a high affinity for. Okay, what's what's a reasonable price to pay for so and so, and what injuries? And we're not doctors by any stretch, but we do know, you know, how long certain injuries will take, and you know, we all know we've read depth charts and everything, and we've done our homework. So, I think that the redshirt strategy, um, depending where you can get somebody, um, I'm I'm starting to shy away from it and go for guys that will uh, that I know are healthy, you know, or. Um, should get plenty of time or, and pay for, and I want to pay a small amount for them. Um, I'm not crazy about it, but I have, I'm not by no means a hundred percent be able to predict, um, how some of these, um, how some of these reserves, um, that you see injured at the beginning of the year deployed at the end. Yeah, no, it's an interesting strategy. It also depends on your depth in general. If you can take that hit for, um, the majority of the season, um, or if you just need that roster spot, depending on who you draft, if they're injury prone, um, if it's if you just need that flexibility. Um, some of the pickups that Victor did make throughout the year that I did want to highlight were Isaac Okoro, who is starting to show some defensive prowess, um, and Grayson Allen, um, just just one of the just one of the white shooting guards in, in Milwaukee. You know him and Pat Connington. You got the two whitest shooting guards in the NBA. Um, I think Grayson Allen has definitely outperformed his just waiver availability. I think he's just been a very productive small forward shooting guard for them. Um, but this all brings me to the waiver wire drop that hurts quite a bit for Victor, and that is Al Horford. He drafted him, and then he dropped him. <laughs> I can't say that, I mean, $1, I guess, there could be worse picks. Um... Boston's kind of had a resurgence with their, you know, their older, their older statesmen. Um, I think at the beginning, um, I think it's Ime Udoka, right, is the coach over there. Um, I wasn't, sh- I don't think he had his rotation set by any means. I mean, he was going to play Tatum a ton. He was going to play Jalen Brown a ton, uh, Marcus Smart a ton. And beyond that, um, you know, you had a lot of different, um, Helpless Skelter big men. So um, it was always going to be kind of interesting. So don't, I can't, I can't uh, give um, Victor too much crap because I did something the same. I did something similar with Dennis Schroeder. I know that pain. Um, Schroeder wasn't getting a ton of play and he was getting, um, he had intermittent success and he, we're in a league where we're just churning through players often. So sorry, Victor. I know your pain. Um, Drink a beer, it'll be okay. Forget about it. Forget about it for the rest of the week. Don't worry about it. Also. Yeah, and uh, even though that L. Horford is being a very highly productive player so far six weeks into the season, keep in mind, it's only six weeks. He's in his 30s. I, I don't see a reason why he couldn't just be shut down at some point in March. So, you know, it, it could it could, it could could be better than you expect kind of thing. Just to, to not have Yeah, and especially else. if the team is competitive down the stretch. And, you know, maybe if they... If they're comfortable in their spot um, within the um, Easter Conference and they want to save Horford for when it really counts in the playoffs, that's definitely um, n- not a stretch of the imagination. Yeah, for sure. Definitely, load management is uh, is something very key for a player of his age. All right, let's move on now to against the McDaniel's formerly against the Lawson. We have Edward, um, kind of an OG. He's been around for a minute. Um, but his draft yeah. was interesting this year. Again, he didn't keep anyone from his previous year. Um, sorry, I'm looking for his, his name. Uh, we are... Oh, here we are. Um, his number one pick was... Oh, he did keep. So he kept Clay Thompson at $2. So that was a red shirt strategy um, that he applied last year. The only keeper he had, surprisingly. Um, he had a couple of pretty good players that I would have thought he was going to keep between SGA, Paul George, and Embiid from last year, but he decided to only keep Clay, um, leaving himself with $198 as a budget. 
Um, his yep. top picks were Paul George at 47, Tobias Harris at 26, Jaron Jackson Jr. at 30, and Mikel Bridges at 26. Uh, Davidson, how do you feel like that strategy went only keeping Clay, um, and then spreading out um, his funds with the top four picks that he made? Um, I think it's been kind of interesting because Ed was somebody that had, um, I think he had uh, James Harden, um, um, who Kevin now owns um, for quite some time, um, for quite some time. Um, and to kind of go with this, I'm only going to keep playing like this league clean. Um, I think there was a little bit of uncertainty just around having, I mean, he, he obviously didn't have Harden last year, but not having that guy that was a no-brainer. So I'm okay with it. I think that kind of read the tea leaves with a couple new a couple new teams, um, two teams not being able to keep keepers and trying to dip into that pool. Um, but you know that's another that's always another strategy once you've had somebody for so long that you try to refresh things. Um, can't can't really fault it at all. Yeah, no, I think I think he's had varying success in the past two years going with a clean slate of players, right? Um, I think he he's experimenting with different combinations, trying to see who fits. Uh, Paul George has been a staple for his team, uh, but he is getting Paul George at quite a high price the past two years. Although one can say that it was it's it's worth it this year, considering Paul George is carrying the Clippers. He's um, on track to be a top MVP candidate within the NBA. And as far as being an efficient player, a fantasy fantasy producer, uh, definitely in the run for fantasy MVP as well. Um, But I do think some of the later picks where he did spread the wealth, um, you know, hits and misses. I'll say Seth Curry, absolutely $9, great pickup. Uh, Jaden McDaniels, $8, kind of a lot for someone who isn't producing as well as, um, you know, one would hope in a Minnesota system that's wide open. Um, and Alperin Shingun, another rookie pickup, another smartest guy in the room draft pick at nine dollars. Just these these picks always have me laughing because like if it turns out really well, it he looks so smart. But then if it doesn't, it falls apart. Then you're kind of just like scratching your head, like why does he have him? But then again, it is early in the season, and Shingun is getting a ton of minutes on a bad Houston team. Uh, I have a question for you with regards to that strategy. Um, how do you view the idea of good players on bad teams, good fantasy players on bad teams, and what is your propensity to target those types of players? Um, I think it's it's a strategy that I'm warming up to more and more. I think as a basketball fan, I I don't know if anybody else is guilty of this, but um, I definitely try to draft guys I like to watch, um, but then that hasn't always translated into fantasy fantasy success with me um i think um houston's gonna be an interesting case because they have a lot of guys who could be really good um and are very it's a very forward-looking team right with Sungoon and Jalen green and i don't know who else is on the team daniel house um kevin martin jr or kenyon martin jr kj martin um he's it's yeah, yeah. and I, then i, I um, like this. kevin yeah. porter jr Kevin Porter yeah, Jr. Yeah, and then Kevin Martin's son. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's, um, I think you can find, you're always just looking for the best best guys who are gonna get the most minutes. Um, for Sengun, I I like him. I don't know what the dollar range, just given the limited budget. Even with a full, with almost a full 198 dollar budget, um, I think that maybe Ed knows something the rest of the rest of us don't know. Um, and I, I could see, I could see him being a great player. Um, if Ed is able to move into the middle of the pack, um, for middle of the playoff pack and then have Shengun like come just like blow up towards the end of the season. Um, but that's a, that's a long way looking out. So, um, I think nine was a little bit, a little bit high, but you know, I'll give him, I'll give him the, give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, and it's it's relative, right? If because um, definitely taken in the later stages of the draft, you know, people are scrambling to try to take their uh, their sleeper picks that they've been holding onto the entire time, 
And if you have the biggest budget, you might as well outspend everyone at the very end. So it may also look like that um, in real time. Um, but I will say, holding on to Clay for two years now, um, you know, I think it's it's a very sweet gesture just because we all love Clay. I don't, I don't mean this in any, any sarcastic kind of way um, because <laughs> I personally would love it if Clay comes back, starts off 20 minutes, 10 points a game. By April, we got Clay back, 30 minutes a game, 15, 20 points a game, and it somehow propels um, Ed forward in the league. Amazing, right? But uh, I think it's a long investment to, uh, to have Clay sitting on the IR spot for over a year now in fantasy time, right? I think in fantasy time, it's more uh, detrimental to your team than, say, kind of how the Warriors were able to navigate it this past year. So um, interesting composition overall. I'm curious to see if he does keep anyone next year aside from Clay, because um, I could see uh, Shangun being a long-term play if he does pan out by the end of the year. So... Um, any closing thoughts on uh, Ed's team? Um, definitely agree with that. Um, just yeah, just stressing that I think Ed is confident enough that he's going to be in the mix towards the end of the season. That he's hoping that um, Shingun and Clay push him over the top. I mean, he's got some. He's got some. I like the. He's got some good guys. I like the Jaron Jackson pick. He's a center. He's young. Shoots threes. Blocks shots. Gets rebounds. You know. So that's um, it's a very immersive draft pick. Um, Tobias Harris, as long as he's healthy, which he hasn't been so far, unfortunately, is a 20 and 12 guy. I feel like with some assists and some peripheral stats, won't you? Won't hurt you too much in percentages or turnovers. Um, and Paul George is Paul George. Won't don't have much to say other than um, he's probably that was probably good, um, probably good, pretty good value. At forty-seven, um, for for bonafide superstar. Absolutely, absolutely, and I do feel like the, his record is not reflective of the talent that he's drafted. I think a lot of it has to do with bad luck, um, health and safety protocols still a thing this year, injuries up and down. So I mean that's kind of fantasy, right? You can't you can't predict everything. Um, even if the overall numbers are great, sometimes it's just the number of weeks you have in the row that are just bad weeks that really uh, tank your overall record all right um let's let's get into this this amazing change of name that we've got here we have uh, tim's team derek my ball derek my ball tim tim have you talked to tim have you have you gotten uh, his insight into oh, yeah. the inspiration for this name i, I don't, I don't too much of it. I forget i forget who was asking me during i think it was darwin that was asking me asked me after the draft he's like is he trying to is he trying to say Derek like our our good friend Derek's name and like making fun of him and uh, does Derek know that Tim's name is Derek my ball and I said I have no idea I don't know where this came from but you know um, let him let him run let him do his thing so uh, I don't have any insight beyond that I mean it does have a South Park ring to it and it does feel like that's something Tim would be uh would be uh. <clears throat> would be very in line with Tim, right? Um, but his keepers were Clinton Capella at $20, LaMelo Ball at 19 God damn it, LaMelo, I hate you. Um, his big ticket pickup um, in the first round was Joel Embiid at $60, followed by Fred Van Fleet at 30 Chris Middleton at 30 Kyle Lowry at 12 and Robert Williams at 18 um, He went with the top-heavy strategy, where he just blew a lot of his budgets um, in, the in the early rounds, uh, or at least on the big ticket players and then spent the rest of his time with um, $1 players. I do think, correct me if I'm wrong, this was auto-drafted? Um, I think he had set, yeah, I believe so. He was on plane uh, coming back from, I want to say it was Houston. Um, so he had set some values that he wanted, some guys he wanted. Um, and then he was trying to draft from the plane, but Clean Wi-Fi is notoriously inconsistent, uh, so I think that um, the draft kind of shows that. Uh, definitely Embiid as somebody who's perennially injured, perennially perennially awesome, but also perennial perennially injured. Um, Sixty dollars is is was pretty expensive. Uh, I don't think I don't think anybody's going to dispute that. Um, and then Van Vliet, 
he's an up and coming. He's you know he's he's got up to that level of I think you can call him a superstar without looking over your shoulder or having anybody look at you weird. Um, so I like I really like those picks. Um, I was really surprised by Kyle Lowry and his resurgence. I think this might be this might be the the best value pick uh, for Tim's team. Um, he's somebody that is on the wrong side of 30, plays a position that a lot of young guys do, um, outside probably of Chris Paul, Steph Curry, a couple other guys. Um, point guard's a young man's game. Um, and he's doing really well in Miami. You never know who, um, you never know when you have talents like Jimmy Butler and Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo, all who are really adept at bringing the ball up. Um, how their games would be affected or how their games would affect Kyle Lowry, I should say. Um, so it was, it's pretty surprising. I know I straight, I steered clear. I think in one of the first two games he got, he had some kind of injury, some kind of injury that looked bad. And then we were all like, Oh, like this might be a big miss, but so far he's come back strong. He looks great. Um, with the heat. Yeah. He's definitely played up to the value of the $12 pick. Right. Um, I think early on we were a little worried that he may have lost a step, but I think it was all about integrating and finding his way into the Miami system, which as a personality fit, as a character fit, absolutely works. But again, it's all about like figuring out how it works on the floor, how it's going to work on the production side and the stats and the numbers. Um, I do want to touch on two picks that, um, well, one pick. So D'Angelo Russell, we all know he has a love affair with D'Angelo Russell. I don't understand it still, aside from, yeah, he saw him score 60 points in a game one time, and now he loves him. I think the rest <laughs> of the league, not just our league, but the NBA has figured out that D'Angelo Russell is not it. But Tim, you know, if you want to keep you know, buying Russell every year, feel free. No, don't let us discourage you. You know, we love to see it because we can give you that shit because you have LaMelo Ball as your keeper now forever into purgatory. So, yep. um... Davidson, what do you think about LaMelo? Do you feel like he's lived up to it this year? Um, or is it maybe one or two more years until we do get to see the, f- the real fruits of D'Angelo, uh, LaMelo Ball as uh, a value uh, long-term keeper? I think he's paying his dividends right now. I mean, I know personally, um, I wanted to watch... The Hornets are one of the most fun teams to watch. They might not be the best team, but just with the amount of raw talent. And at the forefront of that is um, Lamello. I can't, I can't, it's Lamello, right? I always get it. Mello, just remember, uh-huh. Mello is a confused situation because we got Carmelo <laughs> is still playing. And uh... Yeah, exactly. But I mean, Lamello Ball, I see him being a keeper for Tim for probably like two years out until he gets ridiculously expensive. Um, he's just so good, so fast, and there's not really any reason. He's better than his brother, in my opinion, and there's no reason for it, for it, uh, text by Tim to really decline in his skills. He's somebody that uh, has really shown has really shown the uh, shown the doubters they were wrong. Yeah, no, I think uh, the comparison it's an apt comparison. Um, a lot of the NBA analysts have said. Uh, a very similar projection to Jason Kidd, right? Uh, big point guard, can read the floor, insane handle, court vision, makes insane passes, impossible passes, um, with a three-pointer, with a three-point shot already, a funky one, but he hits it at with a regular pace. Um, it is kind of interesting to see early on in the season, LaMelo being benched for mistakes, and uh, you know Charlotte's still trying to figure out veterans versus playing him um but i think they they've gone away with that and have decided if they win they win with lamello if they lose they lose lamello and honestly with the, with the team that just needs some kind of excitement i don't see a reason why they should stray away from that um and um just want to give a little bit of insight and there's no there may be no truth to this but i remember um there was warriors on um, just something on d'angelo russell front there was a Warriors Timberwolves game. I want to say 2019. Uh, him and I were at our favorite, um, our favorite city, uh, Cellar Maker uh, Brewing in South Market area on Howard Street, and we were watching 
um, D'Angelo and Andrew Wiggins just just tussle. Um, I think they both scored upwards of 30 points, maybe upwards of 40 points in an overtime game. And we were just having beers, and maybe that's where the like associ- association was, and that's just that was just drilled into Tim's mind, and that's where um, D'Angelo Russell first, you know, came up, and that's why he's one of Tim's guys. I mean, to be fair, he D'Angelo has made an All Star team, and there was a reason why the Wolves thought him appealing when they first traded for him, right? why the Warriors decided, even if he's not a good fit for the system, for the team, he was an asset. He was a valuable player because he has he had shown something, right? Um, so much so to the point where they got Andrew Wiggins, the pick that became Jonathan Kaminga, and something that's come up recently, the salary dump of Amari Spellman and uh, one other player, I forget who else was in that trade, but essentially to get them under the luxury tax cap for that huh. year. So, um, yeah, I think there's just been a lot of um, revisionist history with more information that's come out, not necessarily to revise it, but to kind of show how amazing it was for the Warriors on their end to trade for a trade away D'Angelo Russell. But also, D'Angelo Russell at that time had a lot of value as a very productive all-star point guard who can shoot. But in Minnesota, I don't know what's happening. So I don't run NBA teams. Neither do they. So it's okay. All right. Uh, well, that takes us through the first seven teams of our fantasy 2021-2022 draft recap. We are going to quit, take a quick break and uh, head over to part two for the remainder of the teams and kind of do a, a recap of uh, what, we, what we've seen so far in the past six weeks and what we hope for the rest of the season. So uh, check us out over there. Um, yeah, you are listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please hit the follow button, and we will see you in part two. All right. Goodbye. See you later.